welcome to Ed Leader with your host, Dr. Rob Jackson. Join Dr. Jackson for conversations and reflections on improving educational leadership from the classroom to the boardroom and beyond. Educational leadership is an ever-evolving opportunity to make a real and lasting difference in the lives of students, parents, and the community. And now, here's your host, Dr. Rob Jackson. Hi, friends. Welcome to the latest episode of Ed Leader. I'm your host, Rob Jackson, and I want to thank you for spending time with me today. This podcast journey has been incredible as the number of listeners from coast to coast and around the world has grown rapidly each week. I want to thank you for your positive comments and feedback on Twitter and Instagram. If you haven't, please consider subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast player. Don't forget, you can find show notes at drrobjackson.com. Let's get to it. Our guest today has been involved in the work of education for 23 years. He describes himself foremost as a teacher. He was the valedictorian of his graduating class, became a teaching fellow, a principal fellow, and as a high school math teacher, was nationally board certified. He later moved into administration, serving at all three levels, elementary, middle, and high school, before becoming an assistant superintendent of curriculum instruction just a year ago. He serves in the Edenton Chowan School System. Please allow me to introduce to you my colleague, my teammate, Dr. Michael Sasser. Hi, Michael. Hey, Rob. How are you doing today? Very well. well. Michael, thank you again for spending some time with me on a Sunday afternoon. I greatly appreciate it. You know, you're coming very quickly to the end of your first year as an assistant superintendent charged with the areas of curriculum and instruction. And I certainly remember our conversations a year ago or more than a year ago. And we talked about social emotional learning and we talked about our district's journey learning about ACEs and resilience, and your passion around those topics was one of the things that really drew me to you as an educational leader. And in those conversations, we could have never imagined what we would face as a school system, as educational leaders this school year. As you think back to those conversations, a lot of that work was really preparing us for this time, wasn't it? Rob, thank you so much for that reminder. We are charged every day to think about the whole child and how we can best bridge these rich learning experiences with helping students best meet their emotional and their social needs. We are charged to protect students from toxic stress. And this time right now, this moment that we're in, this unprecedented challenge, certainly has an opportunity to be an adverse childhood experience. And so how we use the lessons that we've learned to date in this moment to care, to give our students an opportunity to express their emotions, to be comfortable with where they may be feeling, whether it's positive, joyful, 
or uncertain or sad that they've missed out in a graduation, building that self-awareness and helping our kids manage this time is so crucial to the larger educational landscape and what we're trying to do in the classroom day in and day out. And so that passion you heard at the very beginning is fueled further today to continue to push, recognizing that we are not shielded from stress. It comes up in our life. It presents itself in different ways, shapes, and forms. It happens to be COVID-19. Now, it may be something later. And so if we can equip our children with the tools, the strategies to be resilient in these uncertain times, what a greater world and what what better gift to give them than the ability to self-care and motivate and stay inspired to be their best? Absolutely. And, you know, I really appreciate what you said there. And I heard that passion and I appreciate that passion. And you spoke of giving a gift. And today in this conversation, we hope to be giving a gift to parents in terms of how they may be able to support their children through this time of remote learning and perhaps a gift to other ed leaders to share with them some tips they may share with the parents in their charge. Michael, one of the things that really stands out to me is that in addition to teachers and educators having to teach differently and in many cases teach in a way that they weren't trained to teach, we're also really relying on parents to support their children's learning in ways that they've not had to do before and they weren't necessarily taught to do. And so I could see that as pretty stressful for parents. Well, I appreciate that you mentioned this, and this is a fitting topic for today. So if we could just pause for a moment and wish all the mothers out there happy Mother's Day. Uh, I've got a beautiful mom here in my household that has done a terrific job raising our seven-year-old twins. So when you talk about parents and what's happening inside the house, I certainly have a, a bird's eye view into what's going on there. Absolutely. And I appreciate you mentioning your seven-year-old twins, you and your wife, both working professionals, are having to, in this moment, try to balance your professional responsibilities with also supporting your children's learning. And that has to be a stressful situation, even though you're an educator, your wife's a former educator, still, I can only imagine that's a, that's a tough ask. It has put more demands on our family. And I think one of the things that we've had to resolve and wrestle is not striving for perfection, recognizing that our best in this moment is the best and it's what our children need. Is that easy to do to not strive for perfection? (laughs) It's hard. It's extremely challenging because you're talking about investing in your career, wanting to make a difference in the teachers and the students that we are charged to work with day in and day out, but then you have your own children who are these precious commodities that you've brought into this world. And so your focus and heart is on them as well. And so to have to balance the two and potentially compromise, yes, it makes it extremely difficult. Absolutely. And you know, as I kind of think about it, we have children who are in all kinds of settings. Families look very different in 2020 than they may have looked like in the 1950s, some children are more vulnerable than others to neglect or, God forbid, abuse. 
some children have parents who are involved, some have parents who aren't involved, some are working and balancing career responsibilities, and some just aren't engaging at all. And so across that spectrum, we have parents, and I'm sure every parent wants the very best for their child, and they're being asked to really take this big, major role in their child's learning that they've not had to do before, and in some cases, do some teaching as well. And so I can only imagine all of the stress that our parents are under. Michael, one of the things you shared with our team was some of the work of Larry Ferlazzo. It was titled Seven Tips for Parents Supporting Remote Learning, and I found it to just be a wonderful paring down of some great ideas. And so what I thought I would do is kind of hit each of the highlights of these seven tips and let you kind of share if you've engaged and used any of these with your own children or how you might see these helping parents during this time of school closure due to the coronavirus pandemic. And so the first tip that he had was for parents to model how to face crisis with compassion. Well, Rob, what we found to be so important in our household, and, and one thing, if I can just take a moment, is to recognize that though these seven tips may be geared to parents, we all are serving as caregivers, whether we're in the educational community or just the community at large, we have that responsibility for caring for our youngest. And so I believe these tips certainly apply to not just parents, but to all. And so we can just wear that hat as caregivers. I think it sheds some powerful light on what our next steps can be. For Amy and I in our household, it's acknowledging the crisis. And so through communication, and we have been very deliberate about communicating with our twins almost day in and day out. And some of that communication are about the silver linings and the positives about being able to spend more time together. But some of it's the challenges. They're seeing us in a role that they haven't seen before. They're seeing assistant superintendent. And what does that look like when daddy puts that hat on and has additional stresses involved in the different work conversations and tasks of the day? So we're communicating, we're sharing, and we're also making sure that we're being transparent in our feelings and being able to share with Luke and Molly today was a happy day and this is why it was a happy day or today was an uncertain day. And that ability to talk back and forth openly has really allowed them to try to find a solid ground and an understanding of this unprecedented time. Absolutely. And, you know, as I think about the seven tips, and we're going to continue to go through this list, this first tip, modeling how to face crisis, may be the strongest and most important of all because we may not have a COVID-19 pandemic ever again. Now, we could have something similar, but maybe we never have it again. But certainly our children will have times of crisis or times of challenge or meet adversity in their life. And so allowing parents and encouraging parents to model for their children how they face those moments with courage and compassion and taking time to take care of themselves and having those robust conversations like you described is incredibly important. The second tip that Larry Ferlazzo shares is help your child maintain a schedule. What kind of schedule do we have in the Sasser household? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's nice to play off our last name. So we have Sasser School. Okay. Um, we, <laughs> we give Luke and Molly, and again, this is just a little tidbit that connects to the classrooms and, and educator world. 
but giving Luke and Molly choice, allowing them, and we set some parameters based on what the teachers may provide as work assignments, but also things that we know Luke and Molly like to engage in. And so we have little sticky notes and they have a clipboard and they can arrange their day however they best see fit. And we've found that that really, at first we tried to prescribe a schedule on top of their day. At nine o'clock you're doing X and 10 o'clock this is where you're transitioning to. And that seemed to be an uphill battle. But as soon as we gave them that choice, they engaged, they had more buy-in to what they wanted their day to be. And, and that's been really a, a difference maker in our household. Absolutely. Anytime we can avoid getting into arguments with our children over little things like what time we're going to do reading, etc., I think that's a win for any parent. Previous episode, I had the opportunity to talk to the school counselor, Katie Milligan, who you know well, and one of the things she talked about with her young child was actually having the schedule written out and cards made that could identify and then having that on the refrigerator or on the wall. And so it became a place that the child could refer back to in terms of the upcoming schedule. And so marrying that with what you're sharing and letting the child kind of choose the schedule, but then having that in a place where they can look and see, oh, next we're going to go outside and play or next I'm going to work on math, I think certainly is helpful. The third tip is dedicating a space in your home for schoolwork. What have you done around that? This is an area that I believe strongly in. And, and just like the classroom where you encourage students to study in a space that's familiar to where they may be taking an assessment or having to complete a project, we've created desks for Luke and Molly, giving them a designed area that's specific where they're engaging in their schoolwork. It allows them to have their own space that's outside of a couch or a bedroom and really tells them that in this moment, you're plugged in. And so we've also tried to find some other areas in the house that can be comfortable areas where they may want to put on their headphones, listen to a read aloud, something that's comfortable. So it's been a combination of both choice, but also that structure. So their mind goes into the place of, okay, now it's time for me to do my schoolwork. Here's my responsibility. I really appreciate what you said there. There's so much to unpack. One of those, of course, being that place where when I come to this place, I'm doing schoolwork. And I appreciate that Luke and Molly have these desks to work from. That's outstanding. You know, in some of our homes, there may not be that opportunity for a desk to work from, but the kitchen table works just as well if we've really identified that when you come to the kitchen table during the day or at the time we're doing schoolwork, we're going to do schoolwork as opposed to being in the bedroom or laying on the bed or laying on the couch where we also do other things, it really helps the student re-engage to this is schoolwork time and I, I want to attend to my learning. The next tip is really important and it's something that absolutely is universal across the school year regardless of whether we're remote learning or the children are just learning. That fourth tip is ask your children what they're learning. How are you working that into your day? This was a powerful reminder of what it means to be a teacher and work with those aha moments inside the classroom. Seeing my own children, when they picked up something new or they were challenged to perform a task, they instantly wanted to run to me and say, Daddy, Daddy, look what I just did. And it reminded me that learning is a social experience. And Absolutely. we have to be able to provide opportunities for our students to share. 
And so any space that we can create inside the home where it can just talk openly about today I did and what meant most to me in my day was, and I was so excited for, but we recognize that in the absence of our peers with our children not having kids to be able to collaborate, we still need to offer those opportunities for that communication because it is such a social experience. That's a powerful statement. Learning is a social experience and the power of going to school and being with peers and being with your teacher physically present as you're learning adds to the learning because often I think you'll agree that our children will wind up teaching what they're learning. And of course, that's the most powerful form of learning when I'm teaching someone else. And so when they're working in small groups with their peers or they're at a small group one-on-one with their teacher and they're talking back and teaching the person they're talking to about what they just learned, that really cements the learning. And so in that conversation with parents, when they can share, what did I just learn? It becomes very powerful. Well, speaking of sharing, one of the tips that I absolutely love the most, my background is as an elementary teacher. And as an elementary teacher, I love this tip. The tip is this, read with your children. What are you guys reading? We've actually moved into some chapter books. You know, that was a little bit of a stretch, but it allowed us to engage as a family and get lost in a world over a period of days. Sometimes if it was a short read, it worked in the moment, but we've actually found ourselves getting more excited to find that read together time because of the chapter books, because we've been left with a cliffhanger and we want to be able to pick right up and see where the character is going to move or what's going to happen next. So we've really engaged in chapter books and that's been wonderful for our family. Absolutely. I certainly recall with great fondness the time that I spent reading with my children who are now grown at this point and the excitement that I had with my classroom as an elementary teacher when we got to read aloud time and they were really asking well ahead of time to do our read aloud if we could read early and would get upset when it was time to finish because we needed to move to our next curriculum area because they were enjoying the book so much. It's a powerful experience and one that I love hearing parents and children sharing together. Lazo also talks about for parents that it's absolutely wonderful to read together in your native language. And so those who may speak a language other than English, reading with their children in Spanish or whatever the language might be, is also a great opportunity to help our children pick up on their own culture and also to continue to grow with and learn from their parents. And of course, reading doesn't have to be a chapter book. We love chapter books in my household as well. It can simply be the demonstration of the importance of reading for adults. So it could be reading the news online or reading a magazine or any sort of reading that can be done together. But I do love the idea of chapter books because I do think it hooks our children into wanting that shared experience. And it's not just the book itself. It's also the opportunity to engage in that with their parents or their loved ones. The next tip Tip number six is tell family stories. How do you work that into this time? How do you incorporate that? I think one of the silver linings of this time is time. We have more time to spend together. Our kids are curious as to who we are or why we approach the world the way we do. Why is work 
the way it is or why have we run our households? We've really seen Luke and Molly be more excited about engaging in their curiosity with our own family, right. wanting to know about their family tree, their grandparents, their great grandparents. In fact, what I've noticed in our family is we've gone, we've gone back to being pen pals and they write their grandmother's letters and they'll write their great grandmother. And it was such a neat experience this week. Their great grandmother, my grandmother sent them handmade stuffies, as we call them. Those are stuffed animals, but we coined them as stuffies that her mother made for her. They're over 100 years old. And she sent them thinking that Luke and Molly would enjoy them in that time. And that just opened up a whole conversation, um, which was wonderful to have with our kids that we may not have had, had this time not happened. Absolutely. And there's so much power for each of us to have some connection to our past, whatever that looks like for us individually. And taking advantage of the time, as you shared, to do that is really, really powerful. Well, Michael, the final tip that he shares, and one that I know that you're going to love and do love, is tip number seven. Write about what you're going through. How are you guys doing that? I have to give a shout out to my mother-in-law. So she challenged us because she wants our kids to stay engaged in writing. And so she talked about the kids each and every day writing about their happy thoughts. And so we FaceTime with grandma and she leads them through almost like a graphic organizer. And they tell or they write about what today has made them happy. And then we learn through the video apps that our children can read that story to their teacher and we upload and send it through Seesaw to the teacher. It really has brought joy to me to hear what our kids are thinking about day in and day out and for them to learn how to express themselves. I think that's so powerful in our learning journey and that it's wrapped in a positive moment in a time that has presented a lot of challenges and does have stress, but our kids are looking for those silver linings and articulating about how this makes them feel and why this is so important to them. Absolutely, taking the time, and and kudos to your mother-in-law, taking the time to have the kids write about what they're experiencing, what they are doing, what they are feeling, what they are challenged by, how they feel about that, It's just absolutely powerful. Not only do you get the opportunity to increase their writing ability and to their communication skills, but also to really help them continue to learn the skill of reflecting. And we know how important that is to all learners. So the other thing that we do as a family is we've created a joy journal. And on top of those happy thoughts, our kids each day record what is one joy that they want to sit there and end the day with. And we collect these over the course of a week. We review them after the week and we just get an opportunity to celebrate where we've been and where we're going. And if I could put a little plug, because you know me, Rob, I've always got to sit there and push us to better our best. And we're currently in our district working on incorporating social emotional learning. These two tips for families really speak to two of our social emotional learning competencies. And that's self-awareness and self-management. Anything we can do to help our kids gain more awareness about how they're feeling in the moment. I know we're talking about happy thoughts and joy journals. There may be depressing thoughts or anxious thoughts or uncertain thoughts. The ability to gain awareness of that and just provide a space in the home 
where our kids can feel supported, where they can begin to manage through those feelings are just as important as for parents, caregivers, teachers in the classroom. So I've got to put that little plug in there as well. Absolutely. I love this concept of joy journals. What a great idea for every single one of us. Sometimes we get so bogged down with all the negativity in the world, writing down our own joy and then being able to go back and read and reflect on it really reminds us of all the blessings in our life. I love that. I hope that you enjoyed our time together with Dr. Sasser. I appreciated his courage in pulling back the curtain to share how he and his wife are attempting to support their children's learning while balancing their careers. You can find the seven tips from Larry Ferlazzo that we discussed along with show notes at drrobjackson.com. Thank you for spending time with me today, and thank you for all that you do for every student, every teacher, and every staff member. You are making a difference. If no one else has told you, I want you to know that I believe in you. Good day. Thank you for listening to the Ed Leader Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast and consider leaving a review with five stars on Apple Podcasts so that we may continue to grow the Ed Leader community. We hope that you have enjoyed your time with Dr. Jackson. Until next time.